Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Slam Podcast. We're back for the first time um, in a couple of weeks. Um, there's been plenty going on in that time. There's a few sniffles and a few uh, illnesses going around um, NCG Towers last week. And some of us were away, but you know we'll ignore that point. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we, we couldn't make it on last week. So this is going to be a bit of a recap of, of the last couple of weeks and, and some of the biggest stories that there have been. Um, on tour this week, we saw Sammy Valamaki win the Commercial Bank Qatar Masters in a playoff. The Doha Golf Club also saw heartbreak and ecstasy as it was the last event for players to seal their DP World Tour cards for 2024. Uh, on the Ladies' European Tour, Alison Lee put together a record-breaking week to win the individual event in Riyadh. Celine Boutier secured her fourth win of the season in a mega playoff at the MyBank Championship. We now also know the criteria for entry and the format for the Live Golf Promotions event. And talking of Live, you might have missed it. Both the RNA and Augusta National have had to come out and dismiss claims that the Open and the Masters would be giving exemptions for the best golfers on the Live Tour. Could we still see that happen? Um, as always, the Slam Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Callaway. They secured yet another victory this week with Sammy Valamaki finding the fairways very well this week with his Callaway Paradigm driver in Qatar. Big win for them. Um, I'm joined by Matt Chivers again this week, who was away for the early part of last week. I may have mentioned that at the top. Um, he was enjoying the sunshine. Matt, good to have you back on with us for what's actually the first time in almost a month. I know. It's been it's been too where was I? I've been away. I was away in Spain last week, which was good. Well, really good. Enjoyed myself. And then before that was um, on a press trip at La Manga. Um, so it just landed on the Mondays that I, that I couldn't have been here. Um, yeah, La Manga was good um, on a on a press trip. Um, I actually played some decent golf for once. I I don't want to sort of toot my own horn, but on the north course at La Manga, I haven't actually told you this yet. I've only told like... Well, no, 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 yeah, I'm not told you this keeping this to yourself. I've, I birdies on the north course. Um, I birdied the first four holes. That I mean, oh, sorry, I was just stunned into silence there. Sorry, it, it was, it was. I kept saying at the time it was an out of body experience. Like at, at the time, my handicap was ten. Um, I've seen you play. We didn't play well when we played together that yeah, time. Having risen from seven. Um, recently, because I keep on putting in crap scores, um, and it was just mental. I the first hole was just a standard sort of three with wedge and a putt. The second hole was like an iron off the tee, then an eight iron, then another hole putt, and then the, the a par five was next, and that was virtually a tapping. But it, it was it was ridiculous. And then on the four or the fourth hole, which was off the thirteenth, uh, the thirteenth that. Lamangle on the north course to par three. We just sort of I hit I hit a six iron, and it was like God, like this is this is going close again, and it it literally landed a foot from the hole and finished two inches from the hole. It, it was it was unbelievable. It was very very bizarre. Um, I managed to shoot four over, so I managed to hang on for dear life. But <laughs> to be fair, after the first four holes, I was thinking. Like, what is the course record? Because I'm literally, I'm four <laughs> under after four holes. It was, it was mad. Um, but yeah, I managed to shoot four overs. That was my best score for quite some time. So that's cut my handicap down quite nicely, actually. 
Um, I'm trying to put in as many cards as possible, not doing what Steve and Tom are doing, really, um, and putting in every single card. But I am trying to put in every card possible. Um, so, yeah, that was that happened in La Manga. It was a very, very surreal experience. Four under three, four, 59 watch was there at the early it part was, of that round. Then. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. I've never played dogs like that before. <clears throat> well, talking of, of tour cards, your possibility yeah. of thinking about one. <laughs> um, we'll move to Qatar. Um, and obviously, it was an emotional win for, for Sammy Valamaki. Um, there's just something about winning a playoff in the Middle East that he, he seems to rather enjoy. Um, his only other win on tour came back at the Oman Open in 2020, which was only his sixth event. Um, on the DP World Tour, where he beat Brandon mm. Stone in a playoff. Um, and he beat Jorge Campillo with Birdie on the first playoff hole on Sunday. Um, a stunning week of golf from the Finn. Three rounds of 67, followed by a 69 on Sunday. Um, and he just, he got the job done. Emotional at the end, he said. He was chatting to Sky Sports reporters saying, it's hard to talk. It's been a long journey. I've worked so hard, but it hasn't gone my way. This feels amazing. Um, a word on the on the big fella, Chiv. I mean, what a performance it was on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Eighteen under, finishing eighteen under, beating um, Jorge Campillo, who had a good. He's had a good season. Um, won in Kenya, I believe, earlier in the season. He's a three-time DP World Tour winner altogether. Um, so yeah, it's always fun to have, to have a playoff at the end of a tournament. Um, it was a delayed tournament throughout the week, wasn't it, due to. Uh, Weather conditions in Doha, uh, but yeah, and the Qatar, the Qatar Masters. Um, I'm sure the players would have earmarked it at the start of, at the start of the season as the final regular uh, regular season event to see who gets there, who keeps their cards, and who was also trying to battle their way into the into the top fifty um, for the DP World Tour Championship as well. But there weren't many players on that end of the spectrum where they really that was playing. It was more people at the bottom end, who were floating around the top 116 mark. So Sammy Valimaki boosted his um, sort of credentials on the DP World Tour. He's going to be playing next year, keeping a card next year. Um, but there was he was emotional for winning, but it was it was emotion sort of across the board, wasn't there, just because of the, the dynamic of who is going to keep their card, who isn't. Um, every birdie, every bogue, every putt mattered. Um, and it was an interesting um, weekend, which we'll also see next weekend on, on the PGA Tour, I believe, won't we? Because that'll be the last... Uh, I think that's the last... Um, I think the, the Worldwide Technology is the last event on the PGA Tour season, possibly on, on the full series. Or is that completely wrong? I think you, you you might be somewhere near the truth there. We'll come, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. We'll do some research. We'll pretend yeah. we know exactly what we're talking about. Um <laughs> But you mentioned, obviously, top 116. Ross Fisher um, was the last yeah. man in. Um, I mean, mad to think that, you know, former Ryder Cup star, um, Celtic Manor, of course. Um, I think, you know, he's won big events on, on both PGA and, and DP World Tour in the past. And for players like him and, and someone like a Francesco Molinari, who failed to make it, I don't even think he played this week. Um, there's some big names that have, have missed out. and. It's, you know, a lot of people think about, you know, those at the very top and, and those who are winning and, oh, you know, it must be good to, to be up there. But for some of these players, it's 
it's not just about the women. It's about it, it's their it's their life, it's their career, their livelihood that's mm. been at stake this week. Mm, yeah. By the way, I was completely wrong. There is still the Bermuda Championship to come and the RSM Classic. So um, ignore, ignore that ignore that period of a few from a few minutes ago. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy what what can happen in golf with people like Ross Fisher who were once like sort of at the top of the mountain, so to speak, getting in the Ryder Cup team in 2010. Admittedly, that's a long time ago, but he's a big, recognisable name in European golf, isn't he? And to see him sort of teetering on the edge of losing his card, I know it wasn't going to be like a terminal thing for these players because they can go to Q School, can't they, and earn back their cards. And there's quite a few places available at Q School. Hmm. Um, but to see Ross Fisher on the edge and then he tweeted afterwards sort of his relief but also disappointment that, that, that it got to that stage, really. Um, he spoke to Sky afterwards as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, the cusp. It was it was a hundred top hundred sixteen. I think it's usually top hundred ten, um, but it was a top hundred sixteen. And I sort of managed to do a little piece of work on it yesterday um, to just sort of tell the viewers, tell our readers and tell inform people of who was around the cutoff. So Paul Waring was one hundred twelve. Mike Lorenzo Vera, you know, he's a quite a popular DP World Tour player. Mm. Who's 113? So they just made it. The cutoff 117 to Daniel Van Tonda, John Axelson, Mark Warren cut, cut off, and notable notable others. Alexander Levy, did you see him? God, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, was it lipped out on 17? Lipped out on 18? Was it? Mm. I think Alex Levy. I mean, well, 17 he, I think, was the holding one, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. If he'd have made, because then he, I think he failed to make the cut, didn't he? And that would have. Mm. He would have made the cut and then he only needed to finish something like 60th to actually get the points required. Um, I saw his interview as well. Very emotional. He's, mm. he's one of those, a bit like Mike Lorenzo Vera, actually. Very, you know, well-loved sort of French yeah. professionals on, on the tour. And, you know, you can tell that it's going to be a, a big loss if they're not on tour next year. Yeah, he came 126th, I think. Then you had, you know, big hitter Wilco Ninar, but he was 128th. Laurie Cantor was 129th. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, it'd be interesting, it'd be interesting to see what Laurie Cantor does next season because he's a bit of a reserve player, a bit of an outcast on Live Golf. And well, now he's yeah. lost his PJ his DP World Tour card. Um, he wasn't. I think. Well, he's obviously still. I think he's obviously still eligible to play on DP World Tour. I think his status allows him not to be, not to pay any fines. I think. So that's why I think he's sort of. Still as playing, a reserve. He played, he yeah. played in France at the Kazoo Open, I think. Um, but Soren Kjelton, who's a fairly established DP World Tour player. for years. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he finished 139th. Jamie Donaldson, who, who we've seen, um, who I managed to watch at the, the Belfry, the British Masters, and then I followed him quite extensively at the at final Open qualifying when he played the Sergio Garcia and Matthew Jordan at West Lanks. He was 145th, so it is a golf and a lot of sports, but I think particularly golf, if you can't get your form and you can't find the shots that you used to be able to find and you lose confidence, it, it, it's a real, real slippery slope. And yeah. sort of the main the main um, evidence for that was Ross Ross Fisher and well, people like Donaldson and Kelton, but at the same time, there were some sort of great moments. So you see... Um, Alexander Knapp and Angel Hidalgo, they were both playing in the same group. Yes. And they embraced yeah. afterwards because yeah. they both knew that they they both were cert- pretty sure. relief. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Hidalgo got yeah. shot an 80 yesterday, yes. so he was doing his best not to qualify. <laughs> he really did try, he really did try and uh, throw it away at the end, didn't he? I saw him... Scott Jameson as well finished tied third. Yeah. Um, he was right on the cusp and ended up, I think, 81st or 82nd in the end, thanks to the points. Mm. Um, but he was, you know, very thankful that he managed to pull together a great week when he needed it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been, it, it's a, you know, a really big week. Big week it was for, for, for those players. And the Qatar Masters has, has sort of been that last event now for for a few years, and you mentioned that players will will earmark it. Um, and obviously, two events left now on the DP World Tour for for this season um, into the sort of mini playoffs <laughs> mode, as they mm. as they call it, because it's only a it's a shortened field at the Ned Bank in a couple of weeks. I know Matt Wallace was one of those to qualify for that with his performances this week, and then we've got the DP World Tour Championship, of course, where we'll see. I'm sure a few of the um, American Cohort will probably come over. Colin Morikawa, of course, won it. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah. Uh, um, so I expect to see him and, and a few others. I see Tom, Tom Kim might be in the top 15. No, he's not American, obviously, but he's a PJ Tour star. Yeah. He might he yeah. might be playing. And at the uh, Ned Bank, we've got um, Max Homer and Justin Thomas playing, haven't we? So yes, a couple of PJ Tour stars there. Yeah, and Tommy Fleetwood's obviously won that event before as well, so there'll be a good a good field for that. Oh, it was quite exciting last year, wasn't it, I think? Did, is yeah. that the one that... I think Fleetwood beat Ryan Fox what, down the stretch, I think. Yes, I believe it was. Yeah. And look at how well Ryan Fox has played over the last, last yeah. couple of years as well. Um, President's Cup shoeing, for sure, I'm, I would imagine, in 2024. Oh, yeah, gotcha. um, but yeah, I mean, from, from one, um, what formerly was called European Tour, to uh, the current Ladies European Tour, um, and record-breaking performance this week from, from Alison Lee. I mean, absolutely incredible. Um, what she managed to do over in Riyadh at the Aramco Team Series. Um, obviously, it has the team event uh, where a team of three play with an amateur, but she was um, by far and away the clear winner in the individual event. Um, you mentioned, Matt, you were four under through four at um, La Manga. <laughs> it's not quite the same as shooting 61, 61, 65, um, what Lee did, um, bear in mind she finished second last week at the BMW Ladies Championship, finishing runner-up there on the LPGA Tour. So she's been in great form. This was coming for a while. 29 under par through three rounds. She broke the 36-hole scoring record and the 54-hole scoring record on the Ladies European Tour with the win, whilst also becoming just the second woman in history to win an LET event without dropping a shot. 54 holes without making a bogey or worse. Um, only Diana Luna has achieved that feat before. The 2011 Ladies German Open. Lee eventually won by eight shots from Colotta Saganda, who was the only player within 10 um, of uh, of Alison Lee. Sorry, I mean, it's got to go down as one of the most dominant performances in, in women's golfing history, for, for sure. I mean, 61, 61, 65. No one's beating that. I mean... There's so much sort of unpack there. It is like a it is like a Tiger Woods esque. Um, it's it's like a Tiger Woods esque victory, isn't it? You've got, I mean, to not make a bogey for 54 holes is is absolutely mind boggling. Yeah, in, in my opinion, to not you know that it's every that's every like 10 footer, that's every putt that drops, it's every fairway she finds, every shot has got to be so precise. Um, to do that, and 
it, I, I, I really can't believe that you can go that long without making a bogey. Just that statistic alone. Um, but she's beaten. She she she's equaled um, the best tally over seventy two holes. I think. Yeah, in a fifty four hole competition. I mean, it's just <laughs> the more you think, the more you say, the more <laughs> that come out about it. It just proves, like she was. I mean, you said you were having an out of body experience for four holes at Lamanga. I mean, Alison Lee, what a! I mean, we have to commend. Mm. how strong that performance is. I mean, it's up there with what Bryson did at the Greenbrier um, a couple of months ago on Live Golf with 59-61 over the weekend. Um, or should I say 61-59? Um, 58 even, wasn't it? Sorry for Bryson. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 61-61-65. It's just... Oh, I, I mean... It's it was quite crazy. a big week for um. It's quite a big week for obviously Riyadh, wasn't it as well? Because they it's with Riyadh. Is it Riyadh season, isn't it? To, um, this thing that's going on. Yeah. So they had obviously the Fury and Garnu thing and all the boxing on all the stars in Riyadh. So in terms of like the timing of this win is, it 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 hope it would be you'd hope um there were a lot of fans there and um watching the golf and watching Alison Lee sort of put on this clinic. You know, to win by eight shots. It's just, it's just absolutely incredible, uh, and it has, has, it has been done twice now. A player not to drop a shot on the on the ladies' European Tour and win. Um, I suppose it's taken, it's, it's taken sort of a bit of a while for Alison Lee to um, get to this point and win on the ladies' European Tour. At Twenty eight years old, she had a great amateur career um, and played in the Solheim Cup in two thousand fifteen, but to it's taken. It's taken a you know probably longer than expected to break through on the ladies' European tour and win because I think these she, she, she's had two wins. Um, she won at Sota Grande. She won at Sota Grande, yeah, in twenty twenty one, beating. Yeah, she only wins around fourteen series events. Yeah, yeah, she likes yeah, cashing in on these cashing in on these around card events. Um, so she's not. So to be fair, what I've just said there, she she's. No stranger to sort of dominant displays. Um, no, when he beat, beat Ashley Buhai by five strokes and then beating Carlos Scandal by eight strokes, it's absolutely incredible. You know, 61, 61, 65. Absolutely. 29 I mean, under par after two, after three rounds. No matter how you say it, it just is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I was looking at some of the, the records earlier and Cameron Smith holds the record on, on the PGA Tour for the, the lowest score in a tournament. And that was 34 under after um, 72 holes that came at um, in the tournament of the champions at Kalua, um, I believe. Mm. Um, I mean, Kapalua, I should say. Kalua is a Kapalua. Kalua. Kalua. <laughs> oh, God. It's a Monday morning. It's been a tough one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 20, like you say, 61, 61, 65. I know we keep saying those three numbers, <laughs> but when you put those three numbers together, in, in three rounds of golf, it's just, I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I can't comprehend how <laughs> in the zone she must have been for those yeah. three days. I mean, like you like, say, like, it, 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 arguably was coming, a, a win was arguably coming just because, you know, she would unfortunately lost to Minji Lee in the first playoff hole in the, at the BMW. Um, and also losing a playoff six, seven years ago as well to Saganda in another tournament. So maybe this year, it, well, this year it clearly was the year. Um, had a couple of good finishes at the majors, tied 11th at the Women's British Open, 
tied 20th at the Evian Championship. So, you know, and then she had tied eighth at Chevron last year. So, you know, some solid performances there. And clearly it's all, um, it's all just sort of culminated in Riyadh. Yeah. Um, I mean, 29 under par again. I mean, one of the most dominant performances I can think of in recent history. I th- I'm throwing it up there with the sort of the likes of, you know, Tiger when, when he won. Was it the US Open by 12 or the Masters by 12, I should say? Um, and so, I mean, that's it's right up there, especially as it's only over three rounds, not four. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. I mean, you know, exactly. a lot of people might say, oh, she could have had a, you know, she could have had a 78 in the, in the, in, in the fourth round if there was one. But, I mean, she could have also had another 65. And, mm. you know, and gone 36 or 37 under par. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I've actually got some, I've got some statistics for you here because... Oh, this is what we want. This is what, this mm. what everyone wants. Yeah, Golf Compendium. Um, important to give them credit for this. Uh, they have a list of the uh, the biggest margin victories on the 72-hole uh, tournaments on the LPGA Tour. So in 1949, um, Louise Suggs won the 1949 US Women's Open in Maryland by 14 strokes. Um, Cindy Mackey won in 1986 by 14. Baby Zaharias in the 1954 US Women's Open, 12 strokes. Mickey Wright, Kathy Whitworth and Christy Kerr. Christy Kerr most recently in 2010 um, in New York at the 2010 LPJ Championship won by 12 strokes. Um, so that's, those are 72-hole events. Then 54-hole LPJ Tour events. I know this is Lately's European tour, but just to give some context, Betsy Rawls won by 12 strokes um, in 1954 St. Louis Women's Open, 11 strokes Jan Stevenson in the 1981 Mary Kay Classic, and most recently again, like Christy Kerr in 2010, with Sims two hole tournaments, Annika Sorensdam, of course, Annika won the 2002 Kellogg Keebler Classic by Easy 11 strokes. Say. <laughs> <laughs> by 11 strokes um, so that's a bit of yeah a bit of context for the LPGA Tour there um, but yeah obviously Alison Lee with an 8 stroke victory doesn't get on those record books but certainly certainly doesn't take away from the performance I was going to say I mean the, the previous scoring record I was just looking on the Ladies European Tour was 24 under for a 54 hole event so she smashed that by 5 shots yeah um, it's just an incredible performance and, and one that um, will be definitely talked about for, for some time. Um, what also might be talked about for some time, we've gone from a massive win to a massive playoff um, <laughs> on the LPGA Tour. Um, and Celine Boutier, what an incredible year she is having. Um, first major championship victory for her earlier in the year at the Evian winning on home soil. Followed that up with um, a win in Scotland at Dundonald Lynx. Um, and then she's taken her fourth win uh, of the season, um, winning the uh, Maybank Championship, excuse me, um, but only after playing 27 holes on Sunday. Now, you might think there might have been a delay or something like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> 18 holes were only played, that's normal. But then they decided to go for a nine-hole playoff. Um, she played up against Ataya Thitakul, um, having been tied for eighth at the start of the day, final round 64, put her into that playoff. Um, nine holes later, Boutier made birdie to finally secure a sixth LPGA Tour title. Um, and she moves to the top of the Rolex Player of the Year standings as well, um, ahead of two-time major champion and ride, uh, Solheim Cup star, I should say, Lilia Vu. 
Uh, Matt, nerves of steel once again from Celine. And uh, as I mentioned, we've seen it so often already this year, both in individual events and, of course, at the Solheim Cup as well. Yeah. Um, she's just had an incredible year, hasn't she? Um, a fourth victory um, against a really, really sort of bright star in Atea Fittigold. Like, no one needs to be told how talented she is. Um, I think Boutier came back from quite deep in the field. She was, I think she was tied eighth. Um, at the start of the day. So to come back, um, you know, 64 in the last round um, to then enter into a playoff, which is, I believe, the second longest, second longest playoff in, in, um, in LPJ Tour history, I think. Mm. Um, and then you had, it was a 12th playoff of the year, I think, as well. It was yeah. quite mad. Yeah, I know. That was the playoffs. Playoffs galore. Um, yeah, but, um, it was a real superstar Play, like playoff, wasn't it? So, you know, a theoretical for form in 2023 has been, you know, brilliant again. You know, tied fifth at the BMW Ladies Championship recently, tied second um, at the Ascendant LPGA, um, tied seventh Portland Classic, tied ninth at the Evian Championship, you know, another tied sixth, tied fifth, tied fourth at the, at the Chevron, third at the Honda LPGA. So, you know, the 20 year old maybe hasn't, you know, hasn't seasoned in that sense like Boutier has to, to earn the wins, but surely more 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 glory is around the corner. Um, but yeah, a, a, a marathon playoff which was uh, delayed um, not midway through, but during um, by by Thunder and Lightning. I shared a video on shared it on National Club Golf of you know it was literally straight after. Well, I'm sure everyone was seen it. Boutier, as soon as she hit one shot towards the green on on one of the playoff holes, the the horn sounded, and then they had to go in for an hour and a half at Kuala Lumpur Golf Club, um, and then they resumed after that. And then obviously Boutier won. But I really sort of enjoyed uh, the comments that Boutier had uh, for for Fitzgerald at the end. Like after such a long playoff, you know, you, you, you must have so much time for each other, and you know, you know, like sort of mutual respect for lasting that long in a playoff. Um, she said, "I didn't expect it to be that long, to be honest." I was just trying to do my best each hole and each time I had an opportunity to have a playoff. And I feel like we were both very close to winning a, a few times. And I just feel like we just had to make a birdie, essentially. I knew she wasn't going to make a mistake, so I had to go for it and give myself the best chances for birdie. I feel like she's an amazing player, and so I feel like it, it was definitely nerve-wracking. But I just feel very happy to have held on for that long. And I think she's due to I think she's due to go to one and one in the Rolex rankings. I don't think, at the time if we record this, I don't think it would have changed just yet. But I do think she's due to go to world number one, which is just another string to the bow of of European golfing in the women's sphere and the men's sphere. Yeah, as we as we record this, it is still on on last week's rankings, but mm. I think it is obviously um, American time zones. Obviously, as we record this, it's just midday or so in in the UK. Um, yeah, I mean, Celine Boutier has just been on absolute fire um, this year, um, and. Not not only that, as as I mentioned, but obviously a key part of the Solheim Cup, you know, retention as well. Um, formed um, an incredible partnership there. Um, it's just been one of those years where everything's just sort of come together for her, uh, including that first major championship, which obviously we've talked about on, on this pod a few times. Um, but the, the the quality in that playoff was incredible. I mean, it was it was birdies after birdies after birdies. It was very few pars were actually made to to halve the holes. Um, as such, um, 
and again, obviously, you mentioned the um, the delay to come out after that, and for both to still play some incredible golf was um, nothing short of spectacular, really. Yeah, it's been a real sort of like joy to what to see um, Boutier sort of well re blossom this year. Really risen her stock, and um, NCG have also played a blinder, haven't they? Because um, Hannah obviously had a, had a round with Celine, um, and it's on Hannah's YouTube channel. Um, so that's you know little string to our bow there as well, I suppose. But um, if if you look back at her season as well, like the four wins, but it it could have been even better because she was tied fourth in Thailand at the start of the year, and then fifth at the Bank of Hope match play, and then you had tied third at the Do. Dow, Dow Great Lakes Bay Invitational. So, and then tied fifth at the BMW recently, like we keep referring to. So, it could have been even better. It's, it's very much like a like a Ram slash Shepler slash McElroy season mm. uh, for Bootsy. So, it's been, yeah, it's just been massively enjoyable, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, she's not been the only one. As I mentioned, Lilia Vu earlier with two major mm. championships um, this year as well. Um, it's been incredible, incredible golf. Um, talking of of incredible golf and, and what what we might have seen as as, as an incredible story um, this week um, was that there were claims thrown out that there would be some exemptions for mm. live golfers at both the Open and the Masters tournament. Now, of course, we know that you know certain players like a, a Cameron Smith and. You know, Dustin Johnson and so on. They have exemptions into you know these tournaments thanks to major victories and, and so on. Mm. And the likes of you know Patrick Reed and Sergio Garcia will always be back at Augusta, having won there before. However, this is this when this report you know came out. Uh, I think it was either Wednesday or Thursday. It was um, to say that apparently these two tournaments were going to allow live golfers to you know whether it was going to be the top five, top ten, or whatever it was. Um, to play, he sort of it, there was a bit of a, a bit of a hubbub in in the office um, when it came out, and and there was a bit of talk about it all, and but those claims have quickly been quashed by uh, Martin Slumbers, of course, from the RNA, and Fred Ridley, who is the uh, director of Augusta National, I believe. Mm. Um, just your thoughts on on the firstly the possibility of it maybe happening, and then. Obviously, the fact that that has been quickly quashed when we do know Martin Slumbers has been rather pally with, let's say, um, Piff and so on. You know, having played with yes, Al Ramian at the um, Alfred Dunnell Links I mean, program, of course. Well, I mean, I mean, if if, if they've said it's rubbish, so it's well, not rubbish, but it, it, off the mark. That's what Slumbers said, and then. Fred Ridley has also said that the Masters aren't going to alter their criteria for 2024 um, at the moment. So, but I, like Bubba Watson said the other week, he said, I don't think the Liv should be going for OWR points. I think they should be going for spots in majors. I think that's a, I think that's a great shout, to be honest, because that, that's all, that's what they want, isn't it? That's all they, what, what they want. Because the, the, the points are just to allow um, Liv players to get into majors. Um, by climbing the rankings and, and getting eligibility by being in top 100, top 60, whatever. But I think Watson, you know, I think what you said is relevant, obviously, to this story, that if this, if major spots were opened up to live players, 
that would be much better than them being knocked back constantly for not accepting that, they, that they're not eligible for OWR points because people like Greg Norman and some other players, they can't, they clearly can't accept that um, they're not eligible for OWR points for good reason. Because there is good reason. Like, this team element tarnishes how, can tarnish how individuals play, such as the example they use with Sebastian Munoz, um, who who lagged up a putt or he, he didn't want to hit a putt too hard because of the team event. So therefore, that tarnishes the, the event. But to, that's sort of old ground, isn't it? But my point is, I agree with Bubba Watson and one day, although this has now been dismissed, one day, I think that is the best route for live players into majors, you know. So I suppose the top eight live players, for example, say if say if the top eight in the individual standings got into the got into the open, for example. So that'd be like Smith, Johnson, uh DeChambeau, Kepka probably. So mm. but they'd all get in anyway. So it'd be the next eight, wouldn't it, if you know what I mean? Mm. And I think I think yeah. that is I think that's a, a a good idea. Um, obviously, it's been dismissed for now, um, but I feel like people like Slumbers and Ridley um, and the other people at the other organisations they are always open to change. Um, and I know we've got all these suits uh, deliberating behind the scenes with the, the PIF and the PGA Tour that still needs to be sorted. Not not with, that we know at all what what that would mean for the majors at all, do we? Like, but I do think there is a there is a sense in allowing the top eight live players into majors or top ten or top six or whatever. Um, it's been dismissed for now, obviously, as, as as I keep saying. But I don't think it's the worst shout. I don't know what you think about it. No, I mean, I would agree with you. And obviously, as you mentioned, you know, you've got Cam Smith having won the Open. Brooks, of course, as PGA champion. Dustin Johnson won the Masters a few years back. And obviously, these are all uh, five-year exemptions for all for the, all majors. And then usually, you know, they each have their own in particular exemption. Mm-hmm. Don't they? For instance, Cameron Smith can play at the Open until he's 60 or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And Dustin will be able to play at the Masters and so on. Um when you think of it like that, I, I would say you've probably got, what, five or six already there. So you probably then say, let's take the top five who aren't already exempt. So you'd have Taylor Gooch, for instance, who has been incredible this year on Live Golf with, mm. with three wins. You know, I mean, when you've got someone who's won three times, you think, well, surely that person, you know, that player, whatever whatever tour they're on, should be in the majors because they've obviously yeah. played well enough to be in the majors, you know? Um, so, I mean, just looking down the standards, it would be Taylor Gooch and then you you obviously had Cameron Smith, Brooks Kepka, Bryson, US Open champion, Dustin Johnson. Uh, Patrick Reed will obviously get into the Masters. Um, so then it would be, let's say we did top five who weren't yeah. exempt. You then have Harold Varner, Mito Pereira, who should have won, was it the Oof. PGA Championship? God, a few yeah. years back, when JT won it in the end, um, Horrible, wasn't it? Yeah, um, Brandon Grace, who of course has the shot sixty-two in a major before um, at St Andrews, I think it was. Um, Birkdale, Birkdale, I think Birkdale was it. Apologies, yeah. I knew it was the Open. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
and then us, us totally, we just don't know anything, do we? Um, <laughs> and then uh, Charles Howell III, who actually won the opening event of the season at, at Mayakoba. And mm. um, so if you went for that, I, I can't see why it wouldn't work. That's no harm, is it? Like, that's that's players that, you know, are still would playing. Have been in. Yeah, they would have been in a couple of years ago. So, it's you know, it's... Yeah. So, it wouldn't make any difference to the fields. Like, the, 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 the there'd be similar fields to the ones that were years ago. So, I don't know. The, 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 other, the, the other part of it is that maybe these live players can't, they can't complain at all, really, because, well, Harold Varner said to me, I managed to get a word with him at the Centurion earlier in the year, and he said to me that, you know, if he was if he was worried about playing in majors, he wouldn't have joined Liv. So I think that's the reality that they've all got to face, is that although they all want to play in majors, or, or, or well, they might not want to, but obviously, ideally, they would, but they've made this deal. They knew that before. Um, they knew before joining Liv that they would struggle to get into majors if they hadn't already won one. Um, but at the same time, does it make it right that people like Taylor Gooch is going to lose virtually all of his major exemptions, even though he's objectively playing better golf than other players who can earn world ranking points? So that's that's the other side of it, isn't it? Because people like Taylor mm. Gooch, obviously, will, would mass- massively benefit from having a live golf major exemption because despite playing good golf, he is he might have zero he might have zero he might have zero points, might he, he might have zero exemptions. Yeah. Because he's not in the near the top fifty, I don't think. So that would rule him out of the well the master obviously. Then the open, that would rule him out of the, the open, I think. Um, and in terms of the other ones, the US the US Open and the US PGA I, I think there's the story's the same, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what what some people will say in is, um, and I, I spoke to Graham McDowell about this um, when mm. it was a close house for the international series. He said that no matter what, he will always try and qualify for the US Open and for the Open whenever he can. He will try yeah. and qualify until he feels he isn't good enough. Um, and of course, he missed out on he missed out on both this year. Missed out by a shot at the US Open, which was gut wrenching considering he's a former champion. Mm. Um, but then it just wasn't his day. It's um, West Lanks, of course, as, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think he's only a Jamie Donaldson. Two or three off, I think he was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when 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 we were talking about it at, at Close House last month, he he mentioned the fact that he will always try and qualify, and mm. that is a route that some of these players might just have to go down. You know, yeah. we, it's when you when you see the likes of former Masters champion Sergio Garcia and former U.S. Open champion. Um, Graham McDowell trying to qualify at West Lanks for the the Open Championship. Surely that also says, well, why can't I don't know, say Aniban Lahiri? Why can't he go and do it? Why can't Sebastian Munoz go and do it, and so on? Mm. You know, why do they need exemptions? Because there are routes in via other means, and I think that will be the sort of the clap back from, you know, the that no, we're not giving them exemptions sort of side of things, um, which for me is also a fair argument, to be totally honest. I don't know how you feel about that, but for me, I can see where people, if they came from that, I would understand why they were coming from that side of things. Mm, well, I think, uh, yeah, with people like McDowell, like they think they were still members of the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour, like they probably wouldn't be qualifying anyway, would they really? Like there's a lot of these, a lot of these live golfers 
would not be qualifying for for majors, whether they're on the on the on the DP World Tour or the PGA Tour. Anyway, I think um, if you were to look down, if you were to look look down the list of the players on the DP on on the Live Golf um, roster, so you've got Ab- 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 Abraham Mansa. So he's he's a solid player, isn't he? I think he he's probably got a bit of major major pedigree. I think Richard Bland was probably tr- was struggling to get into into majors. Dean yeah. Burmister, you're going down the list now. Paul Casey, you know it, the, the list goes on. Lee Westwood w- w- was was getting zoned out the majors. You know, in terms of actual quality of the fields in majors, and I just said I think it's a good shout. It's a good shout that a lot of these players. Well, well no, no, it's a good shout that these players should be in majors, but the argument can only be made for about for about eight of them, really. I, yeah. I think that's the point I'm getting to. Like, mm. how, what do a lot of these players add to major championships in terms of intrigue and quality? Abraham Answer, yep, yeah, fine. I think he he was good when he was on the PGA Tour. Shambo, yep, yeah, definitely. Garcia, definitely. Um, but I'm scrolling past a lot of players here. Dustin, definitely. Well, he's he's already in them, isn't he? Um, I'm scrolling. Yeah, Kepke, yeah I mean, he's, he's in a lot of them. You know, but yeah. I'm scrolling past people like Jason Kokrak, Siwan Kim, Martin Keimer. No disrespect to Martin Keimer as a former major, two-time major champion, but there's not a lot of there's not a lot of energy that he he now brings to majors, is there? I'm no. scrolling past Brandon Grace, Sam Horsfield. Um, Thomas Peters, Danny Lee. You know, there's yeah. only a few. That, when they say some of these players should be in majors, yes, they should. But it's, it's literally only some, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, for instance, obviously. So let's say, you know, the Masters is of course the first major of the year. Everyone looks forward to that. You know, third weekend in, in April, as always. So, if you look down down the list, you've got. For those who would be exempt, we'll count them up. You'd have Cameron Smith mm. as a major champion in the last five years. Brooke Kepka, major champion in the last five years. Bryson DeChambeau, same same thing. Dustin Johnson, Masters champion. Patrick Reed, Masters champion. Then you scroll down a bit. Sergio Garcia, Masters champion. Uh, let's have a look. Who else? Bubba Watson, Masters champion. Uh, Phil Mickelson, Masters champion. Uh, Charles Schwartzel, Masters champion. Yeah. So you've got all of so those. Let's think about it. A lot of these players play in the majors anyway. Yeah. So you've got. So you, there, you've got what was that? Nine was that? I just mentioned nine names. So then, let's say you had twelve spots for live golfers. You'd then get Taylor Gooch, Harold Varner, Amito Pereira. That'd be your mm. twelve. That yeah. could be how it works because obviously yeah. you've then got other exemptions for other majors, you know, for, for Open champions and US Open champions and so on that, you know, the likes of Charles Schwartzel and Patrick Reed wouldn't get into as they've only won the Masters, for instance. Yeah. Um, so that exemption list would change for the four different majors, but that might be the way to go. With And you maybe add three or four yeah. from the top of the series standings, whether you add it from this year or you wait until, you know, Exactly, when, and, and the point is, like, like I just said, a lot of these players play in majors anyway, so currently they haven't got that much to complain about. But it's those added extras, like you just said, Varna, Pereira, people like that. You know, 
those aren't the players that these live players are saying should should get major exemptions, yeah. are, are they? They're, they're not. Mm. They're, they're always compl- they're complaining about rankings and access to majors. Well, no, it's more about the rankings, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and for me, I mean, but you think about it, what what would you rather, if, if you were on Live Golf right now, and you, I mean, you were 400 at La Manga, so, you know, there's a possibility. <laughs> I was, you know. I'm surprised no one wasn't calling me while there's, I was on the course. There's, there's a chance. Um, <laughs> let's say you're at Live Golf, right, and you get asked the question, what would you rather go for this year? Would you rather have exemption into all four majors and have the opportunity to become a major champion? Or would you like to get rankings points and be the world number one? Mm. For me, I think at least 90% of people are going to say, I want an opportunity to win a major championship. It, it's clearly the best thing. It's clearly the best thing. Like, yeah. like see Wang Kim, who's been relegated, but if it's safe, he's on Live Golf again next year through the promotions event. Spots in majors would suit him far more than world ranking points, I think. You can't get world ranking points if you finish in last every week. Well, well exactly. I mean, I was looking at... We don't hear much from C-Wank him, do we? He's not one of the ones clamouring for it. But no. for someone like him, I think places in majors... I know this is so hypothetical, obviously. But guaranteed places in majors would suit him more. Because yeah. he could... He could... He he could um, win a win a couple of times, and that would rocket him up the rankings. And then, say if there was a major exemption, he could get in and still finish forty eighth the, the other six weeks. Yeah. Like he doesn't, his world ranking would be redundant. It is redundant if he can still qualify for majors. Yeah, yeah, I think, no, that, exactly. I think that makes sense. And that's the well, that's and that's the thing about what a lot of people are saying is that the world rankings are becoming redundant because of all these players on Live Golf. Yeah, um, but that's for another day. That's yeah, for another, yeah, that's yeah. for another day. Um, you mentioned the promotions event there. Um, obviously, all the information came out this week about how the promotions event will work. Um, so bear with me, listeners, because there's going to be a lot of information thrown at you over the next couple <laughs> of minutes. Okay. Um, so it will be a three-day event, like the usual with Live Golf, but entry into the tournament will be staggered. Um, some players will receive direct entry through to the second round, a bit like a buy in sort of most American sports when you get to playoff time. Um, so those invited to enter the tournament and who would play in round one would include members of the Walker and Palmer Cup teams from this year, winners and runners-up of the following most recent amateur events, so that's the US Amateur the Amateur Championship, Asia-Pacific, Latin America, European, the NCAA Individual Championship and the Eisenhower Trophy. The leading 15 available players <laughs> from the top 40 of the um, World Amateur Golf Rankings. The leading 25 available players from within the top 40 on the final International Series Rankings. And of course, we know there's Live Golf and the Asians all have had a partnership for that. Mm. The leading three available players from inside the top five on the Japan Golf Tour money list, Korean Tour money list, Sunshine Tour, which is, of course, the South African Tour, which the DP World Tour have a lot of crossover with in the latter part of the year. And the same with the PGA Tour of Australasia. Tournament winners from the Asian Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour. The leading 30 available players from within the top 300 of the Universal Golf Rankings. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know, I can already, already see your face, I know. Um, and then event invitations as determined by Live Golf League. So that will be round one. Top 20 and ties from the opening day, which will be 18 holes at uh, Abu Dhabi Golf Club uh, in a shotgun start, as always. Top t- 20 and ties from the opening day will then join the top two players in the uh, World Amateur Golf Rankings. Players ranked two to eight on the international series rankings. Uh, the leading five players from within the top 30 on the final DP World Tour and Corn Ferry Tour order of merits. So could we see the likes of Ryan Fox move over or someone like that? Um, winners of PGA Tour and DP World Tour sanctioned tournaments in both 2022 and 2023. Ryder Cup, President's Cup and major championship winners from 2019 to 2023. The leading 15 available players from those universal golf rankings. Players relegated from Live Golf, so Siwoo Kim, uh, Jed Morgan, James Pyatt, and Chase Kepka. And then those without a contract for the following season, so those in the open zone, um, as I explained. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was last week or the week before with Steve talking about the open zone and how free agency would work. Um, and then more event invitations. Again, that will be another 18-hole round on Saturday. Then the top 20 in ties after that will go through to Sunday's action, where it will be a 36-hole stroke play competition. Scores will be white, 36-hole stroke play. Top three get a place in Live Golf, along with the uh, leader of the International Series Order of Merit, which we assume is going to be Andy Ogletree after how he's played this year. Um, Oh, yeah, and the winner of this uh, event, promotions event, also gets 200,000. You know, but that's just a small, small chalk, really. Um, yeah, <laughs> 150,000 for second, 100,000 for third, and obviously then the possibility of earning $100,000 at least at every event in Live Golf next year. So realistically, it's, you're looking at sort of $1.6 million possibly for the winner, you know, in terms of what they'll actually get for the whole of 2024, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, did you get all that? If you didn't get all that, it is on our website. Yeah. I did write it out in simple English, mainly so I could understand it, um, but for, for, for the world to understand. A lot going on. Um, I'm quite intrigued, actually, and to see how it's going to play out um, and to see, obviously, who's going to be in the field because we could see some more moving over from the DP World Tour and the PGA yeah. Tour. But the thing is with that is, for example, say if... Scotty Scheffler wanted to go to this event and try and qualify for Live Golf. Are there repercussions? Yeah, or with Greg Norman. This is this meritocracy thing again, because there's no way someone like, say, say for example, as Alan Shipnock uh, claimed in his new book, I believe, apparently Patrick Cantlay, he reported that Patrick Cantlay turned down a £75 million offer from Live to stay with the PGA Tour. But there's no way if Patrick Cantlay wanted to join Live, he'd have to go through that. There's no way. No, exactly. And I think that's why you saw it sort of was like, oh, the top 15 available players in the top 300 of the <laughs> Universal Golf Rankings. Um, because realistically, as you mentioned, you know we know the likes of Cantlay and, and JT and... Rory and Tiger Woods, they all got offers. You know, yeah. I know Will, Will Zalatoris was offered and, and so on. Um, 
if they get offered it again, would they go? You never know. They might. They might decide it's a different different one, and they might yeah. choose to go. With, with this with this promotions event, it's. I think before it, obviously, in the run up to it, my guess would be that it's just going to be a load of players off the Australasian tour, off the Korean tour, off the off the Sunshine tour, off the Japan Golf tour. Uh, I assume. I know it's leading three. It says here. But I assume it's going to be a lot of players like that who want to cash in, try yeah. and cash in an opportunity to qualify for a massively yeah. lucrative league. And I um, think you might see a few of those, as we were talking about earlier, someone like a, maybe like a Kiridesh Apibamrat or yeah. or a Wilco Nienalba, for instance, may, because there are quite a lot of South Africans already on, on Live Golf, yeah. as we know there's the South African team, essentially. Um so would the likes of Nienaba and maybe a Brandon Stone, who obviously has disappeared through injury and so on over the last yeah. couple of years, um, I think they'll be more likely the names well, that will go. Well, that's true. You've got those players that we discussed earlier that didn't get their cards and will have to go through DP World Tour Q School. I think you've got, I don't know, there's a lot more spots available at Q School um, for DP World Tour, but yeah. you could well, shoot play both. You, yeah, well, you... you you could go for this live golf. You could go for live golf, and there's only so the last rounds. There's only twenty players in there, and then the top three get yeah. twenty in ties, and then top yeah. three get through. Yeah, so that is a it's a bit tougher. That that is tough. Yeah, that is quite tough, isn't it? Um, um, there are there are also um, exemptions. Sorry for the international series. Yes, so fourth yeah. through tenth will also have exemptions into all. I think there's going to be 10, possibly 12 um, international series events on the Asian tour, which obviously have big prize money. And, and that's where Andy Ogletree has sort of made his, you mm. know, route to the top. Um, and they, they, they're well-run they're well events. They're good events, um, you know, run by Performance 54. And I, was, I went to Close House um, ahead of the International Series England. Um, and it was very well set up. You know, there were crowds there on Pro-Am Day, which, you know, they did not see me go four under three, four, but we'll ignore that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep bringing this up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, even then, it's still the opportunity to play in some lucrative tournaments for, for those who may otherwise not have had that chance. Yeah, oh, certainly. But that that's just, it's a good little comparison, that, isn't it? If you were, I don't know, if you were... Say if Ross Fisher had finished outside the cup, 117th, and mm. had to go to Q School, would you rather go to DP World Tour Q School or this Q School? Well, I know it's not called Q School, but it is, isn't it? Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. I mean, well, do you know what, the, the one person I was thinking well, about... Actually, if it, would, would Ross Fisher even be, elgi- be, be eligible? What a, what's a good, uh, that's a good point. Um, if you look at the... There's, there's so much in that criteria that I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, I... he definitely. Well, he hasn't won a world. He hasn't won a DP World Tour event over the last couple of years. According to the criteria, no. <laughs> according to the criteria, he would need an invite. Yeah, which may well be given. You know, yeah. for, for what? But I'm sure if he, I oh, know you mentioned the player. Sorry, Ross, because you have got your cards. Well done. But <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the player, or you know, would would a, a particular player? My, the one person I was thinking of is is Laurie Cantor. Who, of course, has, has yeah. played on Live Golf um, this year as, as a as a replacement for for 
injured players. I think he played a lot with Majestics, and I think he may have played with Cleeks as well in the in the yeah he's been in the time of being yeah. injured. Um, and he actually, despite not playing all the events, made it into the top forty-four. So he's technically in the open zone section. But he also then played. We saw him play at the Alfred Dunnell Links. Mm. Um, so he obviously still has some form of. We mentioned it earlier where his membership is probably not in the the realm of being fined because he's only a reserve for Live Golf or, or whatever. But he's now had that a taste of what Live Golf is like. Mm. I'd be interested to see if he turns up for this promotions event or if he turns up for European Tour, DP World Tour, Q School, I should say. You know, where, where will it, does he split his time? Does he choose one over the other? Does, I think that's a, that's a tough decision. I think a lot of players in who might be going for Q School on the DP World Tour, I think you might see quite a lot of them in this Live Golf Promotions event. Yeah, it is. Same with the Corn Ferry Tour as well. That is an interesting. That is an interesting concept, in my opinion. Which Q school would you rather go for? Yeah, Laurie Cantor in a very interesting situation, isn't he? Because obviously he's had a taste of the lucrative exactly. live the live stuff. Um, by the way, yeah, I, I couldn't help but have a little look earlier at this universal golf ranking thing. And and and, and I, I might be being massively naive and massively under um, under research and under studied in the last few years, but I did not I did not know this was a thing. I'm sorry. Did you know it was no, a thing? I, I didn't know it was a thing until I read of it on um when I was writing the, the piece up for the promotions event yeah. on uh, in the week. Um and, and even then, you, you know, you look down this list it's, uh, it's, it, Cameron so it's, Smith is the, the the highest on it at seventeen. Yeah. So it's the Universal Golf Rankings on their website. They they say they're the world's most accurate, understandable, all-inclusive and unbiased golf rankings. And they say the golf world is frustrated with current ranking systems because fans, players and sponsors don't know who the best is anymore. Even worse, they don't trust the current ranking system to be accurate or unbiased. It's clear that amidst all the chaos, conflict and controversy, a better system is needed. With over 100 years combined business data analytics, analytics and golf experience, the TGR team shares in this frustration and has created a new ranking system that leverages player-to-player matchups and cloud computing to produce the world's most accurate, understandable, all-inclusive and unbiased golf rankings. It sounds great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I apologise to them if they if anyone from there listens to this or to anyone who's actually knows all about this, but I, I honestly did not know this was, this was a thing. Yeah. I mean, and like I say, I, I, I looked into it on, on Wednesday or Thursday, whenever it was that the, the playoffs, the promotion events, sorry, sort of criteria came out on the, on the live golf website. Um, I looked into it then and I was like, what, what on earth is, what on earth is this? Um, and then I was, and, and to be fair, it's one of those things that it does make sense. Mm. Because it does I admire bring- it in a way because it's, it's it's alternative, isn't it? At a time when at a time when fans are disillusioned by the world ranking points and players are, this is a time for something like this, isn't it? To be fair, exactly. And I mean, the, the majority of the rankings are you know are right the same. You know, you look they have John Rahm at five instead of three, which I think he is on the OWGR. But 
that's not a, you know a massive difference. But then you, you, when you look at the live golfers who are in it, so at the moment Cameron Smith is seventeen, Taylor Gooch, the individual series champion, of course, is twenty one, Bryson twenty six, Brooks thirty one, Patrick Reed thirty seven, Dustin Johnson thirty eight, Mito Pereira forty, <clears throat> excuse me, Wakwin Neiman forty three. Uh, Alexander, sorry, no, uh, Harold Varner, 59, Cameron Tringali, 60. So mm. that would be sort of 60 is about the cutoff for some of the major championships, isn't it? Um, yeah. So that would be who's, you know, could that be a, a route you take instead of who's top on the live golf standings for the exemptions? Again, that's a story for another day, yeah. but I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm honestly, I'm honestly a, a bit. I'm sure every other every other golf journalist and every other writer will know about these, but I, I didn't understand what this was until I had to until I saw it on these exemptions. Um, so yeah, maybe one day you, you never know. We might see live into some sort of collaboration with TUGR, TUGR maybe, but I don't. But I don't know what, they, what anyone anyone for benefit from that. That's purely speculation. But is that was very interesting to see that on the exemption list. I must say, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and we mentioned Q School earlier. Obviously, DP World Tour Q School. We, 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 I was having a look at some of the names in it. A few of those names have actually come off now mm. from earlier. Um, but it's the second stage of that this week. Um, you know, it, it, it's we we were talking about those who didn't make the top one sixteen and and how big that Q School will now obviously be for their for their livelihoods and especially on the DP World Tour. Otherwise, it's back to the Challenge Tour for for some players. Um, so this week is huge for them, um, and there's and there's, I think this, this, it feels like there's hundreds of, of different ones that are going on. There's mm. Desert Springs, Fontanelles, Isla Canela, and La Pinayas, all, all in Spain before the final marathon six round yeah. um, competition at Infinitum, which you'll be going to, of course, um, um, which I think is from the tenth to the fifteenth of November. It yeah, will be. Yeah, um, big one. Weird timings. I think it's like a. Yeah, it's like a Friday to to Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I which I was a bit when I saw the dates of it, I was a bit confused. Like that doesn't sound right, but yeah, it's mm. six days um, over the two courses at Infinitum. It will be. Um, will we be back? We'll be back. Well, halfway through that. If well, mm. in fact, we won't. I'll be away that Monday, um, and you'll be away that Monday. I'll so there. we might not be back. <laughs> That'd be interesting. <laughs> um, I might be. Well, I might be a live you. pod. First of a live pod, maybe. Yeah, I'm from Portugal, you're from Spain. We'll have to uh, <laughs> see what the connection's like. Um, but yeah, we've got PGA Tour actually this week as well, Worldwide Technology Championship. Uh, Russell Henley's trying to defend there. Not at the Mayakoba, um, obviously with that now being a live golf um, venue. We, well, we know how spiky things were at the start of the season, so that's changed. It's at a Tiger Woods-designed um, course mm-hmm. this week in Diamante, so that'll be interesting. Firstly, to see what the course is like. I'll definitely be watching to see... Um, what sort of the design is? Obviously, we know about Payne's Valley and the infamous 19th hole at Payne's Valley. Um, and then Gemma Dryberg will be looking to defend her title at the Toto Japan Classic on the LPGA. Uh, that's all we've got in terms of the live golf this week. Um, well, I believe from our new schedule, it'll be two weeks before we are back. Yeah, uh, Mr. yeah we'll see. We'll see. Um, you might be... Who knows? Seven under through seven at that point. Um, <laughs> I'm actually entered Q school. You, that's why you're going. You're just going to play. You're not going to work. Um, but yeah, no. Thanks as always, um, awesome. and I'm sure we will 
certainly uh, keep an eye on our website. We'll be uh, talking about a few of the points we've made so far today. Um, but yeah, thanks again to you, Matt. Um, thanks to Callaway as our sponsors. Uh, we, I have been Matt Coles, and that has been the Slam Podcast for this week. Thank you very much for listening.